Welcome to Tesserai. I'm Bob Stevenson. And I'm Steve Cartwright. Thanks so much for joining us as we explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways that it's been dismantled. In a moment of transparency, this is our second time recording this episode. The first time, we noticed that even the subject matter of lament was affecting our energy and our enthusiasm. Not to mention it was kind of late, but that aside. <laughs> Which I think could be part of why we need to talk about lament. Our initial question for this episode was, why doesn't the church practice lament more? Uh, given that an estimated 30% or so of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. I don't think that number is reflected in our worship or in our daily lives. I didn't simply start embarking on a journey to understand lament because I was curious. I, perhaps like some of our listeners, I was thrust in, into it through grief and through loss. Over a two-year period, I said goodbye to seven friends and family members who passed away in a myriad of ways. I had never felt so much despair before or as much fear and anxiety whenever the phone rang. Working in ministry, which you can relate to, Bob, working with people, I think you find out very quickly that grief is all too common, that people are going through things that you wouldn't have any idea about if you just walked past them or if you had a surface conversation about. And so today, our hope is to examine a little bit more about the practice of lament, both corporately and individually, uh, and learn some things and express some of the things that we've learned regarding grief, regarding loss together. So let's start with an obvious question. What is lament? What do we mean when we talk about lament, whether in the Bible or in Christian practice? Simply put, lament is what happens when we allow ourselves to recognize and process the pain and sorrow of our hearts honestly and transparently. It's the venting of the anguish, the real emotions and tension and struggle that we feel inside. Mm -hmm. But biblical lament, and this is really important, is directed. It's not just a cry into the void. There's this scene in uh, the Mad Max with Tom Hardy, uh, one of my favorite movies, where Furiosa is coming to grips with the fact that everything she hoped uh, would be at the end of this road is not there. And she collapses uh, onto her knees in the sand and just lets out this scream of anguish. And it's literally a cry into the void. And when I think of an undirected lament, that's a great image, a cry into the void. But the difference is with biblical lament, our cry and our pain is heard by a God who loves us. Mm. There's this magnificent psalm uh, where the psalmist says, you've kept all my tears in your bottle. There's this beautiful picture of God's intentionality and awareness of our struggle. And this means that our lament that Christian lament is always rooted in hope because our lament is directed at the God who is, as we read in Exodus 34, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, the God who is the God of grace and truth. But it gets even better for the Christian because we have Jesus, God in flesh, who is grace and truth abundant. Jesus, who entered into our suffering, who became the man of sorrows. 
There's this quote in uh, Dane Ortland's recent book, Gentle and Lowly, and he reflects on the solidarity of Christ with our human experience. And he says, our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. So when we talk about lament, we're talking about unloading our souls on this God. And when I think about the incarnation, I think it's beautiful that one of the first things that comes to mind in the Bible is the well-known story of Lazarus being raised from the dead in John chapter 11. In verse 35, the famous shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And this can't be understood as a lack of faith or hope or knowing what's going to happen because there's evidence to suggest here that Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to live. He makes the choice to wait to go to where Lazarus is sick. He waits. He waits because he knows what's going to happen. He knows uh, that this is part of a, a larger a larger picture. And yet, even with all of that knowledge and taking his time to get to where Lazarus is, he weeps. Hmm. He actually weeps that his friend Lazarus is dead. Hmm. And I, I have found that remarkable and really encouraging when uh, feeling particularly emotional is to really think about it like Christ would understand this. You know, we'll get into why I, we don't aren't necessarily called to stay there, but how I am in this, this very difficult place right now. And somehow the Lord Jesus is meeting me there. He knows what that feeling is like. As we reflect on this idea of lament, uh, it might also be helpful to, helpful to situate it in our own experience. So, Steve, what what was it like for you uh, growing up? You said that you, you've been on kind of a journey to understanding lament. So I'm guessing that means that it hasn't always been a part of your life. What does it look like for you to learn about it? Yes, that would be a correct assessment. Um, I think growing up, I, I wasn't using language like, you know, as a kid, <laughs> like I, 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 I am feeling bad about this or I wish that things were different. And so I cry out to God, you know, but I think that the way the way I understood um, victory and the the power of God was through overcoming. And I'm very thankful for that because I think that my perspective uh, is is very influenced by that. I think that my optimism, um, naturally speaking, but I think even uh, as a Christian, knowing how the story goes and knowing the faithfulness of God, it's been very powerful to to still remember that Christ is on the throne. So I'm not bashing like a victorious perspective, but sometimes it felt like it was at the expense of grieving or lamenting the way that something was. Grieving and lamenting the way something is doesn't mean that you don't have faith that it could change or that it won't always be like this. Um, and so I, I think as a kid, I just didn't have language that was using that. And so when I first experienced grief, I had room to cry. I had room to be comforted by family. Uh, I was blessed in that way. But in terms of employing lament as this practice, as this crying out, sort of like you mentioned, and this direct address to God, that that wasn't something that I was familiar with, uh, the need for it, or even really the practice of it. I think I resonate with that. Um, in my church experience growing up, while there may have been times of confession or uh, lament. I don't really remember those. Um, I do remember, you know, a general celebratory attitude. Um, there was a lot of 
um, joy on Sunday mornings. Um, and, uh, but, but I don't recall really knowing, having, being discipled in how to really lament well. Now, like you, I think having a, a family where I could grieve well and, and process through those things in private, but it wasn't a part of our public or corporate experience as much. Now, all of this begs the question, is this a problem? You know, we've been talking about how uh, in, in a lot of spaces, lament isn't a, a major feature, or at least in our experiences, lament wasn't a major feature. Um, and, and, you know, I think we are, if we're being honest, it probably still struggles to find a, a good place. Um, so do we need it? Is it important? Why? You know, there's almost an implicit critique here in the direction we've been taking, right? So um, do we need more lament? And if so, why? I would contend that we do, which I, I guess is, you can infer based on the fact that we're doing this episode. But uh, I think kind of going back just a few minutes to what you were sharing about the address is a reason why we ought to do it. Because we're going to cry out, because we're going to be frustrated, hurt, devastated by things that we encounter personally or communally. And so this idea of having someone to address our lament to is crucial because otherwise it does become like that example of the movie, which I haven't seen, by the way, Bob. So you ruined Mad Max for me. But hey, you, you don't know everything else that happened. Don't worry about it. You gotta come <laughs> but, over and watch it. We'll do. We'll do. Uh, but I think that that's that's powerful. Right. And instead of me yelling into the void, knowing that there is someone on the other side that is listening to this, that is even with me as I'm going through this, uh, I think is pretty powerful. So for that reason alone is the fact that we're going to grieve, we're going to lament things and to know that we have someone who's actually listening. Mm -hmm. There was this book that I think we, I'm pretty sure we both read in seminary by Cornelius Plantinga called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Mm -hmm. And in it, he talks about how shalom has been broken, how Shalom being the way things were intended or designed to be by God, those things are not anymore. The fact that there's sin is evidence that sin and death is evidence that things are broken or things are not going as they were originally intended. And so I think that even as humans, I think that I believe in some way this is kind of connected to us even being made according to the image and likeness of God is we have this sort of built in idea of how things should be. And I think that is a, a constant searching for shalom, a constant searching of what's been lost, even though we've never ourselves experienced a world without sin. But we're still trying to fix these ruins, trying to get the way, get things back to the way they were supposed to be. So I think it speaks to our need. Lament speaks to our need for God combined with the depths of sin. And if you only have the depths of sin, then you'll constantly be, you'll constantly be be uh, in the depths. You'll constantly be just made aware of how bad things are, and you'll never have this redemptive arc that is so important to living the Christian life. And there's another dynamic. Uh, so if, if that's the the vertical piece, there's a horizontal element, um, namely that grief isolates us uh, from one another. Mm -hmm. There's a, um, a local artist who's a friend of mine. Her name is Leah Mitchell. And um, she did a seminar uh, at Village where I pastor last year 
or a year or so ago. And, um, it was on lament the way that art has expressed grief and sorrow. And it was really powerful. But one of the things she said, um, that struck a chord was this, she said, grief and sorrow are isolating emotions no one experiences it the same way, and no one knows how another person feels regardless of how closely aligned the experiences may be. They're also isolating because we isolate each other as we go through trials. We don't know what to say to a friend who suffers, and so we avoid entirely or we minimize their pain. God in his sovereignty does not take away the pain in the lives of his people. Instead, he works it for good, for our good and the ultimate good that is in God's plan and creation. This is important both for ourselves and for others. If we minimize the reality of pain, the depth of pain, we fail to love others and we fail to honor God. And see, what what lament does, especially in a corporate sense, is it brings to the surface, it brings to the light, it makes public that which otherwise is buried so deeply and which isolates us and it allows us to bear one another's burdens that allows us to share the load that we are suffering by ourselves. Yeah. And it speaks to, so what I'm hearing from what you're saying is in part about experience. And I think that's one thing that it also brings, right? Is uh, the fact that all of us will have different experiences and depending on your, maybe your personality and different uh, political leanings, sometimes it, experience may not be very valuable to everyone or people don't want to be ruled by experiences because they're they're subjective in some way. And I can understand that to a degree, but I think that having a proper level of empathy uh, is is going to is going to come with lamenting because you may not always be lamenting for yourself, right? It may be some something that someone else is going through and you are joining them, you are listening to them, you are uh, you are touching them in some type of way, reaching out to them as they're hurting, or you might share in it with them. And I think you see that uh, through a lot of different experiences that we all go through. Loss is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that even even how I think about funerals, actually, kind of how I've experienced funerals in oh, my life yeah. in case, you know, kind of kind of growing up, having funerals, it always had a lens of victory about it. So lament was kind of on the back burner. Now, again, it was okay to cry and people would and do cry during that, but it was clear that this wasn't even a funeral. This, as long as it was a believer, this was a home going. And that's, that's always been the case. It's on the program, but that's what's, that's what's united. So it's till you see this person again, it's a temporary goodbye because you're going to have eternity with them. So you miss them, but just till you see them again. So it has this, this positive part about experience, but then there is the very real loss that you have, that you cannot, cannot talk to this person, cannot uh, share in old stories that you had with this person. So I think I saw that in, in funerals growing up or in home goings. Um, and I think you also see that in, uh, we don't see it much in our worship these days, but you see it throughout Negro spirituals. You don't see um, a, 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 you don't hear a song that's going to say that everything's, everything's all right. And I'm just going to meet the savior. It's, it's a focus on keeping your eyes on Jesus because things are so bad here because things could not otherwise be managed, but somehow there's, there's this hope that there's a very real lament going on throughout a song, regardless of the beat that you put to it. If you're using a washboard or a tambourine, um, there are these opportunities to, to see God and to care about one another again through that experience. And 
the this dynamic of living in a broken world um, and experiencing the profound suffering and pain and injustice and on and on and on uh, it it doesn't <laughs> it'll crush us if we just internalize it um, and so reflecting on on the way the Negro spirituals worked um, and work um, and also in our contemporary moments creating space you know we, we we lose something when we don't have a category for lament um when i come across um something on twitter and it's outrageous right another um uh, instance of police brutality or uh, injustice in a, in a in the political system or another report of sexual abuse or fill in the blank whatever it may be uh, my impulse is to want to do something about it to want to respond to be uh, outrage and, you know, how do I usually respond? Um, maybe I'll tell my wife about it, or maybe I'll, I'll, uh, tweet about it or something and yell into the void, <laughs> but that doesn't actually accomplish anything. Um, where that angst and that anguish needs to go whenever I'm facing, uh, systemic injustice or racism or cultural chauvinism, uh, or, you know, again, whatever we may face, uh, the direction I need to go is to God, um, to, pour out my soul to him. And it's really an extension of what Jesus teaches us, how, how he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. I love that line because it's this yearning for what must be, but is not. And when we train our souls um, to cry out like that, then it, it does, it gives us um uh, a place to go with our anger and our angst and our frustration and our sorrow in a way that doesn't just tear us up inside. And kind of going back to going back to the biblical connection, I feel like the Psalms are, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode at the top, uh, the Psalms are a great place to find uh, inspiration, a great place to find modeling for how to worship, how to talk to God, how to lament. And for good reason, uh, Psalm 130 is a psalm of ascent. Uh, I preached on, I think, like a year ago. And that kind of, I think I spoke to the same piece about being addressed to God and acknowledgement of being in the depths, you know, and then uh, and then asking God to do something about this. But it's not the only place where you see it in Scripture. You'll find it in the Old and New Testament. Uh, but I think we would be remiss to talk about an episode of Lament and not talk about Lamentations. <laughs> Um, an actual book of the Bible, right? And in Lamentations, there is absolute despair. Oh, Jerusalem, the place God yeah. dwelled. Yeah, it's 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 a tough read. The place that God dwelled has fallen at the hands of the enemies of God's people, um, the Babylonian army, right? The author likens this this fall of Jerusalem to being a disgraced widow, and it's it's clear that God has not only abandoned her, but that it is because of their own disobedience. Um, I mean, it's probably why this isn't a particularly popular passage, but this despair continues for most of the most of the five chapters. And it ends with a call for God to restore and renew them and not to be angry towards them forever. This is the type of lament I think the church needs to be more communally engaged in as it pushes us to acknowledge our failures, the ways we have not honored God and our fellow human as we should. This writer is in pain. That's clear. And they are owning why they are in pain, even as they ask God to alleviate that pain. Now, 
we may have never seen our beloved country or city destroyed. And the reason we lament may not even be our fault, but the mourning, the mourning we can relate to. Whether we do what is right or not, I believe we have a sense, again, of what should be, right? This built-in desire. Um, so there's a lot to lament. And and you mentioned pieces around like systemic racism. I, I, I have felt this so much for people that I've never met, hmm. knowing that uh, when I listen to stories or when I feel like I'm seeing a, the same play with a new lead, you know, whether it be George Floyd or uh, Trayvon Martin or Tamir Rice, uh, kind of insert name here, oftentimes uh, involving the police, sometimes not, like in the case of Ahmaud Arbery. Those stick out to me as they, I believe they should to Christians lamenting that these things can happen, that a system can exist that would allow these things to happen. Uh, and I also feel it very deeply. So as a Christian, but as a black man, as a black Christian man, I feel that too, knowing that if these men didn't have a hue that was closer to mine, then maybe they'd still be alive. Maybe things would be different, you know? So I'm thinking about this as you're talking now. There's a weird dynamic. Um, I want to get into why we don't lament in general, but like there's, there's this weird dynamic that even uh, there, there are certain kinds of lament that are politicized um, and that are partisan. So, for example, if you go into a conservative white church and you say, I want to spend some time lamenting the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, um, you know you're going to get pushback and you're going to get this, hold up, why are you going to make this uh, uh, a political thing? Are you liberal, et cetera? And so you, there, there's a, a double... Uh, grief in that um, <laughs> where you can't actually create the space for that lament um, because folks don't necessarily believe it's worth um, lamenting. So there's obviously some like systemic issues that keep us um, from building this in as a practice. Um, but what else? Like why, if this is so important don't we do it more? That's a great question. And just because like you mentioned that piece, you're right. There's these pieces that are social realities, but they have political implications or they're political realities and they have social implications. Uh, but if you were to go into that same church and talk about abortion, you would not have issues with lament. But if you were to go to another church, maybe one that was considered more more left-leaning, however you would describe it, you might not get the same response um, over uh, what it means to to pray against the end right. of abortion. You know, it has this nuance. And, and we want to get into that, I think, more in future mm -hmm. episodes. But I just think that's worth mm -hmm. mentioning. And as a part of this integrity journey, trek that we're on. So there's that. But I also think there's uh, there's generational differences as to why we don't do it. Like I, I think about my generation versus that of my parents. Both of my parents are baby boomers. And I'm convinced that the baby boomers have a, in general, generally speaking, have a sense of perseverance, have an ability to persevere uh, and to keep pushing and make it through that I think my generation tends to lack. Now, any analysis of a generation 
when they're when they're as young as I am is incomplete and unfair because we're not done yet. But I think that and it, that's usually when they're kind of harsh, like your generation doesn't make any money or your generation doesn't know how to work. But I do think that's a difference that comes up that comes up a lot. Uh, and the, the flip side of that is I think that they don't process always as well. Baby boomers probably don't process things as well because they didn't have time to process. It was like keep living, very practical aspect too. I love that we're able to process. We've taken away the stigma of counseling in different in different ways to help uh, one another, help ourselves. Uh, but I think sometimes we struggle with perseverance. So I think that's a little bit of a difference. Some of the generational differences is just the the need you probably feel to to lament and reflect. You just opened up a whole can of worms on any of our baby boomer listeners now. Yeah, I know. Just so you know, know Steve said it, not me. Yeah, I love our baby boomers. <laughs> I, I love them, and I love my parents. I, love my I wouldn't parents. Be quite literally. Me too. Love you, mom and dad. Okay, so why else? Um, you know, I think there's, um, I think in church settings, you know, so I'm speaking as a pastor now, um, as somebody who's um, been involved in planning worship services for a long time now, I guess a decade or so as a primary lead. Um, I think sometimes, you know, leaders, Christian leaders are afraid of it, um, especially if you're hoping to um, keep people happy or grow your church, you know, to, to sort of force people into a season of lament. You know, it's one thing if it, there's a national crisis, but it's another thing to build it in as a, like a spiritual rhythm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but, but, but that's not a good reason. Again, we need to train uh, our people in what it looks like to grieve well, just like we need to train people how to pray and um, train people how to study their Bibles. We need to train people to lament um, well. I, I do think it's interesting, this artist that I mentioned earlier, uh, she walked through these different pieces, um, uh, both modern and um, and medieval it's, uh, and on. Um, it became clear that art is a much better medium for expressing lament, right? Like there's a, a ready capacity for it. Um, or music can be a, a really good capacity, but there's something about the context of the local gathering of the saints where it feels incongruous and we struggle. But I think, I think if we work at it, we can uh, recast that in a more productive way. And again, I'm sure, I'm sure that there are many traditions, many, um, uh, I, I think, I think the high church traditions probably do this better in terms of like formal rhythms um, than low church traditions. But, um, uh, but yeah, that's another, I think maybe another reason why. Mm-hmm. And some of it, it might be as simple as we don't want to deal with our emotions or it's, it's harder to mm-hmm. deal with them, you know? And if you're maybe more of a, of a feeler than a thinker, then maybe that would be easier for you. But I think in general, there are some things where we don't always see the point or a way or like a path paved to share our Mm -hmm. feelings. Um, It would, it it would cost too much. And who would you share it with? Who would understand who would get you, who would going back to earlier, who would be empathetic, you know, because that brings nuance too. that brings nuance into some of these discussions we're having. Again, talking about some of these hot button realities, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about abortion and we're always talking about protecting the one in the womb, which I stand by. But we always say the womb as if it's not a person 
who has the womb, as if there's not actually a woman to talk about there. Um, which side note, I think shout out to the folks over at the AM campaign yeah. because I believe uh, they are doing great work in multiple areas, but particularly in that area in finding ways uh, to to call out biblically the need to be pro woman and pro birth, pro life in a in a more accurate way. But I think that that comes to mind, and maybe even being a guy, I think probably that's connected to to having. Uh, limitations with engaging with our emotions because it might be seen as weak or uh, unproductive or not like men should be acting, you know? Um, And so I think we've got to get past that corporately if we are to be able to lament and feel with one another's experiences uh, as a church, as a body. And then individually, we've got to get past some of the things that held us back from doing it before, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important as we're unpacking this to also point out that lament is as much as we're talking about the benefit of it being kind of built into the rhythms of our lives. It's also not meant to be lived in forever. Um, like we're, we groan Romans eight. I mean, we live in a broken world. And so I suppose as long as uh, un- until Jesus comes back, we're going to be in a, um, a posture of groaning, there will be grief. But but even then, thinking eschatologically, it's not how it's always going to be, right? We're, we're straining forward towards our hope, towards resurrection. Um, and even the process of lament can be a time of healing. As we give vent to our emotions, as we process our grief, it's through that that we can be put back together. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think you know, we were talking about this last week, how grief has this funny way of just living on, like time doesn't heal. <laughs> um, you can experience mm-hmm. some profound grief and then, uh, and not deal with it. And it just lives in the depths forever. And then it just jumps out at random times. We both shared experiences about how like we just got walloped out of nowhere with some past grief. And so it's important that we pursue uh, true healing. That we pursue um, uh, working through our grief in really constructive ways. And lament's a helpful way to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think that how many times we've gone like, I'm really thankful to be able to lament right now. Yeah. But be thankful for, I think, the the ability and the reality of like how it's constructed is you're absolutely right. I see it as kind of intentionally unsustainable. It's It's built for us to be able to heal both like, like, we, like it would physically, you know, you need time mm-hmm. for something. And sometimes you've been like, okay, I, uh, I remember tearing my meniscus and being like, so it's this amount of time that I'm not supposed to, I heard some people say, oh, it's just this amount of weeks. People are like, oh, I have, I was out for months. R- regardless, it takes, it takes time. So everybody's not on the same timeline, but it is not an absence of hope. It is built f- for us to be able to actually heal. You know, um, the depths are not designed for an extended stay, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and I think that's that's vital for the Christian to remember because it gets fatiguing to be to be grieving. Oh man, it, does. it can uh, it can it can it can it can it can be a lot. Well, and so a beautiful illustration of that is Paul's uh, instructions in First Thessalonians four, uh, where he's talking about those who have died, Christians who have died, and he says, "I, I don't want you to grieve like those without hope." In Sometimes we 
part of the reason we're having this or we're talking about this this episode is because some people put the period after grieve you know i don't want you to grieve and we say okay christians are supposed to be full of joy uh we're victorious but he says no no i don't want you to have a particular quality of grief you need to have a hopeful grief because jesus is raised from the dead he's coming back for us he's going to put all things to right and that does anchor us it grounds us and it allows our grief to actually have meaning you know, just because we've been talking about this, um, man, we are seeing it. I think doing this episode, we're not under the impression that nobody in the church is lamenting. And there is even talks about how to lament in the church that are going on, uh, particularly around social issues. We'll see, Lord, we, you know, we lament that we live in a fallen world. We lament sometimes very specifically about this act that has happened, which I think is appropriate. And, but it should never be, it should never be understood to be uh, or use, misuse manipulatively, you know, um, to kind of be like, uh, and I'm still developing this in my mind, even as I speak, <laughs> but I think that it has this sort of like, oh, we lament and then that's it. No, I, I just like your prayer, like calls you into purposeful action. It propels you forward. I think when, when you lament the way that things are, you examine some of the conditions that allowed those things to be. You know, so you address sin just like we would individually and corporately. So, you know, I, I just feel like that's worth saying, too, is that we're not a past like, well, I lamented. So now I don't have to have hard conversations. Um, that's that's not what that's not what we're talking about. So just like most of our conversations, just as we're beginning to wrap up, we have another thought that makes us want to keep on going. But since we're out of time, the conversation can keep going in other ways. This is usually the part that Bob shares. So I'm feeling really out of my element right now. But we are on Facebook and on Twitter at Tesseride Podcast. So follow us. These conversations are best had in community. What do you usually say? <laughs> do, do your thing, man. Whatever you make your own. <laughs> yeah, these conversations are best had in community. So thanks for joining us. This has been Tesseride. I'm Bob. That was Steve. We'll see you next time.